Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. My name is Manuel Fate. And yeah, we're back a little bit late this week, but we are here and we have a bunch of stuff to discuss um, in the world of football. I'm really excited for this podcast because um, although we are in the international break, football news are happening. And um, we were jokingly saying before this show, this is almost like a Manchester United podcast now. Uh, don't be afraid. It's not. But, you know, they are a big topic. And and I'm going to bring Filippo in here because he is a big Manchester United fan. Filippo, you said Manchester United are a little bit of a soap opera. Um, Mexican soap opera, you actually said, used that term. I, I like that. So you must be excited to be able to talk about Manchester United once again today. Yeah, I think, well, first, hi, Manuel. Doing great here as well. But the thing is, Manchester United has been trending for the wrong reasons recently, right? In the past, in the Sir Alex era, which is what I grew up accustomed to, it was more trending on success and good players and winning trophies. We are just, um, and when I say Mexican soap opera, it's not a, a diss on Mexico or anything. It's just that the soap operas, they are very dramatic, right? There's a bunch yeah. of drama in Manchester United right now, and who knows what's going to happen. But I'm doing good, Manuel, besides that. <laughs> I, I love Mexican soap operas. Um, there's that one about Liga MX, which was just hilarious. But yeah, you, <laughs> we'll get to talk about United's Mexican soap opera today. Maybe that's even the title for the show. That'd be funny. Um, but, you know, who's back in North America from his long trip? And I saw that picture of uh, the Flamse Fritz that you ate, Adrian. Uh, that's one of, my, one of my favorite spots in Amsterdam. Glad you go, went and tried it out. Uh, what was your toppings? So for that one that I sent you the picture of, we went for the the peanut sauce and the mayo and onions on one. And then the other yeah. one, you're going to have to correct me on this, but I think it's called yopi sauce. It's like a mayo slash curry mix. Yeah. yeah. So we went for those two and they were just incredible. Solid recommendation from you. Thank you very much for that spreadsheet that you guys sent us over <laughs> with all your recommendations. We had a blast just ticking them off all the different places. Did you see, did you go to the Brauerei Tei? No, we didn't make it out there. We were hoping to make it out there, but there's just, there's so many breweries that were just around us that we figured we tried to sort of, you know, approach everything tactically, you know, where can we hit first that is close by to another point of interest, that kind of thing. So we didn't make it out to the one that you recommended. I would have loved to have seen it in the windmill, but maybe next time. Another time. Amsterdam is great. Uh, I'm going back in December for the first time since I've lived there and I've, I cannot wait, but yes, um, Glad you tried the fries. One of my favorite things in Amsterdam. But, you know, 
Josh, bringing you into this discussion, the two of us just hanging out in Canada throughout this entire time. Um, good old Canada. Yeah. How are you doing? It's a bit boring for the two of us, isn't it? I'm doing good. Yeah, I would, uh, I would have loved to go back to Europe <laughs> the way Adrian did. I, uh, I went backpacking. I've only ever been to Europe once, but went backpacking. So I was able to hit off quite a few countries there. But for since the pandemic, it's just been good old Canada. You get some nice weather, then you get freezing cold weather. And, uh, yeah, so the sooner I can get out and go to Europe, the better, <laughs> but I'm doing good. Yeah, it's coming, man. Um, rumors of PCR test requirements to be scrapped, uh, just in time for Adrian to come back. He must have loved getting his nose poked just to get back across the border. But uh, that, that's a different story. Guys, let's talk about Filippo's favorite club, Manchester United. And um, we have another rumor. And this one has been trending on on Twitter this entire time. Um, probably the entire entire week, weekend. It's international break. Lots of interesting stuff happens during that time, right? Uh, newspaper need to fill in, fill in, fill in lines somehow. I guess uh, Ralf Rangnick possibly headed to Manchester United as an interim, as an interim in an interim role, and to then step back next season to sort of become a sporting director, um, overseeing the work of a younger coach. I love Ralf Rangnick. I, I know that his current position at Lokomotiv Moscow is in a consultancy role only. He currently lives in Germany. He also has a bunch of other jobs um, in Germany as well. He, for example, he works with a zone um, as a as a tactics expert, and um, he is open for a role like that. And personally, I think that him going to Manchester United is probably what the club needs. But I was on a different show yesterday where he talked about this, and Filippo, I think. Rangnick to Manchester United is not going to happen because it would be like inviting the fox into the, the, the chicken house because I think most people who are currently working at Manchester United would probably get fired by Ralf Rangnick. Yeah, so I, personally, I haven't been following if that's going to happen or not, so I can't comment on that. Uh, what Manchester United essentially needs right now is to hire someone for the long-term project and someone competent, right? And we know he is competent and we know the people that are there right now for for the most part, are not. And we also know that Oli's not going to be that guy for the long term that's going to get get it figured out. Will it happen? <laughs> will will the people in power, that you, like you just said, a lot of them are going to lose their jobs if he gets hired? So in their situation, would you hire a guy that's going to probably fire you? Would these people be for it, right? How is the... The thing mentioned, United, it goes down to the ownership, as many people say, management. And <laughs> I think the Glazers did a brilliant move, right? Hiring Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, because no matter what, the fans don't seem to protest or complain about Ole, right? It's it's all about the board, but Ole's like a shield at this point. So I think they're enjoying it. And like I said, we need to hire someone that looks into the long term. And I've, I'm slowly losing some passion for this club slowly over the decade right and it's reaching a point where i'm just losing more and more and more yeah josh um we of course know rangley quite well and he is someone who does reform quite well but at the same time <laughs> edward ward and co would be in a lot of trouble if he comes in because i think he he wouldn't be a nice customer for the, for the glaciers he would probably demand change dramatic change um, right away we've seen that at Hoffenheim we've seen it at Leipzig his projects that he works on they're always successful 
But at the same time, you know, he offered his job to Le- to Schalke um, ahead of this season, and they didn't do it because they were so worried about. And I mean, that was probably a mistake on their part that he would change the the, the club structures in such a way, right? And United are very much a similar case, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it's a shame that United and Schalke are both scared of success. But mo- moving on from that, um, yeah, he he is someone, and it's kind of a similar point I made uh, on a few pods ago about. Antonio Conte and the reason I didn't think that he'd be a successful replacement for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the fact that the board just likes someone who like Filippo kind of said is is the shield they know that he's not going to rock the boat uh and if Antonio Conte came in he's in my opinion one of the first managers will absolutely uh rock the boat and and Ralph is no different if he's going to go in there he's going to try to make this side successful and guess what that means in the Premier League spending money and doing the proper things that that they haven't been doing anytime soon so I think if he went to United, he would absolutely turn them around. And I think Antonio Conte would have as well. It's just I don't think the board wants that. I think they're very happy with where they are, making a lot of money off this club. And Ole's at the wheel, in my eyes, probably still for the foreseeable future. I, I'd be surprised if he got sacked because I just think he's doing exactly what the Glaciers want him to do. Yeah, Adrian, do you think there's ever going to be change at United? I, I, the, the rumor that I heard today, and um, this was written by... Someone who actually know quite well, Chris Weatherspoon, and um, he said that United, Rangnick would be open for it. But United, obviously, for all the reasons that we just mentioned, are worried about it. And Brendan Rodgers was floated today. What do you think of that? I mean, Brendan Rodgers is becoming or has been a fairly respected manager for quite some time now. You know, I think that he left with maybe a bit of a bruised ego following his time at Liverpool. But what he did at Celtic and then returning with Leicester, I think that his stock has risen back up again. Um, I think that he's a very, very competent manager. I think that Leicester themselves have done a great job as far as, you know, their recruitment and sort of everything going on behind the scenes. And I don't know that that is really necessarily matched at Manchester United. I don't know how they would do, you know, as far as their recruitment and, uh, you know, development of their youth academy, etc. I don't know if it's at a level that, you know, Leicester is at. And I don't know that. And I mean, I think that this is why so many fans want someone like a Ralph Ragnick to come in to completely change everything from top to bottom and to get a strong leader in those sort of roles that uh, that they've been lacking in the last little while. And, you know, you know, I actually have a question for you, Manuel, is I've been seeing some reports saying that he's desperate for this Manchester United job or not, maybe not desperate, maybe desperate taking it a little bit too far, but he's very much interested in managing at Manchester United. But do you think that he's moved on as a, as a professional, I guess, from the management side of things to the more sporting director football side of things? Yeah, I think so. I think he said in an interview with Süddeutsche Zeitung before he took the consultancy role at Locomotive that he can't really see himself working in a straight-up sporting director uh, head coach role again and um, only for the right job. And so desperate for this job is maybe the wrong word i think he'd be very interested under the right circumstances and i think that's that's really important to point out here as well that of course ralf rangnick um if united come to him with an offer that meets all his parameters he'll take it 100 percent. he's always wanted to work in the premier league but the thing is too it it's not like he is begging for this job 100% 100% not. That's not who Ralf Rangnick is as a person. Anyone who's ever followed his work understands that. Like United also are not the kind of club anymore that can 
that has that sort of power where they can just go like, oh, we want this manager, we're just going to take him. Like those days are over. And I think that that's really important to point out here. Rangnick will only take this job if conditions are met. And that's similar to Conte, as Josh already said, you know, like that the fact that he has such a high, uh, such high demands is probably going to mean that United are going to go with someone who's not going to rock the boat. That's my final opinion on that. And, and I, I think that's where we are with this club at the moment. And I'm sorry to tell you this, Filippo, but that doesn't say, that doesn't look like change is going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, it goes down to more than just the manager too, Manuel. It's, uh, you yeah. can change the manager because if you look throughout the decade, ever since Sir Alex left, Manchester United had some quality managers that have had success in other places, much better than Oli, which by the way, Oli is not even inexperienced right at this point. Yeah. He's been around for a while, but essentially that's all I have to say about it. Is it You can change the manager. It's not enough. There's much more that Manchester United has to work on. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's move on. I think this is a story that's that's just going to stay with us for a long time. Um, certainly past this international break, because I don't, I can't see United making a decision on this anytime soon, and this is going to drag on and drag on and drag on. But guys, what we can conclude, and uh, Filippo, congrats, Orlando City in in the Major League uh, MLS Cup playoffs, um, they beat Montreal. Sorry, Adrian, I know you have season tickets to that club, and even though I, I, I suspect you haven't been as much lately. But, um, Filippo, what were your thoughts on, on that particular game um, and the Eastern Conference playoffs as they turned out? So, yeah, um, I, specifically that game, Orlando got that late goal. Daryl DK held on to the 2-0 qualified, as I expected Orlando to qualify. Um, honestly, I'm just going to talk about Orlando here, essentially. I th Well, I'll talk about the Eastern in general, but... I think it'll be a surprise if New England doesn't win the conference because of how dominant they've been all season long. And we know how MLS playoffs can go. We saw it last season when Philadelphia Union won the Supporters' Shields and lost in the first round to New England. But then again, last season, I also thought New England was already very underrated, right? They were already a pretty strong team, and they showed it again this year. My thoughts on the East, I think the, the, the New England Revolution will take it. Orlando City, my team specifically, I think we've made far enough, Manuel. I don't know if you agree with that, but Orlando has been on a bumpy ride all season, and I don't know what to expect from them. And were you? Which game were you this weekend, Manuel? I remember you were going to a game. Was it this I, one? I know I was at the Whitecaps game. Whitecaps, um, yeah. And I want to talk about that in a moment because I thought it was it was a great game with a great atmosphere. It's the um, the largest largest attendance we had in British Columbia since the start of the pandemic. So that's really worth noting. And in the, in the top five of attendance in this country um, since the start of the pandemic, because now, of the restrictions were harsh here, right? Um, well, but what's well, sorry? Yeah, I, want, I, I, like I was just, just going to say. In. I was just going to say one thing to add to the Eastern Conference too is two things I'm excited about here. It, one thing I'm excited specifically was for the New York Red Bulls. Caden Clark slowly started to pick up his early season form, mm. and they were the last seed to qualify. They finished in seventh. So I've seen this in the past, especially in the Brazilian League when they had playoffs of a team with some young talent right yeah. there qualifying last and make a deep run. So I'm hoping to see maybe a New York Red Bulls make a deep run with a Caden Clark in form and a couple other guys like John Token that they have. But besides that, I still think New England shouldn't have trouble winning the conference. The final, the MLS Cup, that's a different story. 
Although Atlanta United in that first round, potentially or New York City, um, Orlando City, I think Nashville has been one of the teams that have really impressed me in the East. And that is probably a tough ask for Orlando, especially in Nashville, right? Um, New York Red Bulls against the Philadelphia Union. I did watch the Montreal game, um, Montreal-Orlando game in the press box in Vancouver because I was prepping the market values, the transfer market values, right? And I actually thought that Montreal were very good, but they squandered some bad chances in the first half. Um, There was one moment, I can't remember who exactly it was, but they couldn't even get the ball over the line from two yards out. And if you're not able to do that, Filippo, you don't deserve a spot in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And and I agree with what you said. Uh, as an Orlando City fan, I hope they make it through Nashville. But I, I think if if I had to bet money on it, I would say probably that's where Orlando's campaign ends. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, it's one thing I say to European leagues and something they should learn from MLS. This is the part of the season in MLS that's very exciting, very fun to watch. Yeah. And I even recommend any of the abroad viewers, um, anyone from Europe, um, Asia, Africa, whoever's listening to this too, to try to follow MLS during the playoffs at least. Trust me, you won't regret it. And decision day was awesome this week, this year. Agreed. It was really awesome. Like the fact that RSL scored that late winner um, that kicked out LA Galaxy. And pre- before that, there was there was a handball that wasn't called, right? And uh, uh, Peter Vermes is there, Sporting KC head coach is probably still fuming and Greg Vanny at LA Galaxy is probably still in shock that that's how he went out, right, Filippo? Yeah, I was actually <laughs> I was actually watching the LA Galaxy game and I found it interesting. Uh, all the California teams and all the Texas teams are now eliminated. None of them made it to the playoffs, which is crazy because those are technically the big soccer markets in the United States, right? Texas yeah. and California. But And even you get like FC Dallas with um, a strong academy, LAFC and LA Galaxy with a lot of money. But regardless, they, they were all out. And I watched the LA Galaxy. It was a great game, by the way, 3-3. Yeah, there was a lot of good games. Um I, I was at the, the Whitecaps game, Josh, and Cripo in the end makes a big save there. And at that point, we all thought, okay, it doesn't matter. Even if the Whitecaps lose, they they would have still been in the playoffs, right? But then that late goal happened at RSL and that big Cripo stop essentially got the Whitecaps into the playoffs. And um, that was incredible in retrospect. But yeah, Josh, how did you see that day? And I know you watched the Whitecaps quite a bit. Yeah, I, I was super impressed. I wanted to see a Canadian team get in there. So I, I did watch the uh, the Montreal game earlier, and I agree with you, Manuel. They had a few big chances early on that I think if they put one of those away, it would have been a completely different game. But they weren't able to, and they were ultimately eliminated. But with, with the Whitecaps, they've been such a fun story to watch. And, and I, I started watching them when Marcos Santos went on that, that tear, and then he got sacked for losing to Pacific. But uh, the momentum never really stopped, and they, they have been a very surprised story and Maxine Crapo as a lot of guys who follow the MLS would know I mean he's he's rated up there with some of the best and MIIT is the best keeper in the MLS he's just got very sturdy hands every time the ball comes anywhere near him you know you have a safe keeper behind you and it, it's it makes a big difference but I also want to give a big shout out because I think this is a, a funny kind of stat to the Colorado Rapids talked about the the uh, California teams and, and the Texas teams not qualifying but Colorado going into the season had absolutely no expectations. I'm pretty sure, and Manuel, you'll probably know better. 100 percent agree. They, yeah, <laughs> they have they have the lowest transfer market value. And I think they only have one DP 
But Mark yeah. Anthony K and company found a way to top the U.S., which I thought is just such an incredible achievement from a, a side that wasn't expected to do anything. Before you, I'm going to correct that stat real quick before you jump in, Filippo. Okay. Um, we just updated the market values and Colorado are just outside of the top 10 now. Um, so it went up a lot. It went up a lot, but they also did bring in, as you said, Kaye, who was a big signing and has he has a strong market value, right? Uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Filippo. No, what I was going to say is it was also crazy how no one expected them to finish first in the last round anyway because they needed a combination of results along with their huge yeah. win, which <laughs> to see Jonathan Lewis score two goals and all that. But yeah, it, it was a big surprise. The Texas-California team's completely out and Colorado Rapids topping their conference. But it's no, so not surprising maybe that the three Cascadia teams are in it, which is probably the hotbed of soccer in North America. A lot of people keep forgetting that, but you know, Vancouver, Seattle, and Portland, those are three of the oldest teams in this league because they have a history that goes way back before MLS, right? It's, you know, Vancouver is the first Canadian team that won a national, national, we call it national in North America, of course, but a championship that goes, that there was a North American championship when they won the NASL, right? And um, to see the three Cascadia teams in it, I think is actually quite great. And I'm curious to see how Vancouver does in at Sporting Kansas City. I wouldn't be surprised actually if they win that game. And then depending on what's happening at Sounders against RSL, they, they could get another home game. And I would like to see them in front of 25,000. I mean, we need to bring Adrian in here. I know you don't watch the MLS quite that much, but you're a West Coast boy. The Whitecaps do feel like they're holding up the Canadian flag right now, don't they? Yeah, they absolutely do. And I mean, like I always say, I'm I'm the bad North American of the crew. So I, I haven't been following the MLS much at all, especially being in Europe because the times to watch are in the middle of the night. So um, that it's, I mean, it's encouraging. I don't dislike the white caps in any way. I just never really had any sort of affinity towards them. I am from the West coast originally. Um, it's just so happened that when I was in Montreal for university, that's when Montreal joined MLS and sort of got it up and running, but it's great to see the white caps being the only Canadian representative. I can say we didn't make the playoffs, Montreal, that is, but we do have an opportunity to win the Canadian Championship still against Toronto at Stade Saputo, and I will be there for it. I was shocked that this game is in Montreal. Just going to oh. say. Oh, Just absolutely. Just going to put that out there. I, I was sure it would sort of end up in Toronto, but maybe because I called out Canada soccer, they were too afraid to do it. Well, thanks <laughs> a lot, Manuel, because now I can't go to the game. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Although there's a train, isn't there? Between Ontario and Mon like Montreal, you can just jump on that. and uh... It would. If Adrian wants to host me, I mean, maybe. But it, it's a journey to go from where I am down to, to Montreal. I've only done it once, and I it was it was a good hike. It'd be at least six to eight hours, depending on traffic yeah. and weather and all that. I, stuff. I don't accept that, man. It's a five-hour flight for me, um, 5,000 kilometers. So we might be in the same country, but it is very far away. Um, but guys, we need to move on. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm going to go actually straight and stick with you here, Josh. How excited are you about those Canada games in Edmonton? Uh, big one, of course, on Friday against Costa Rica. That's a must win, especially considering how Costa Rica look at the moment, they're not a strong team, you know, long gone are the days where they qualified for the World Cup, etc. That yeah. is the must-win game, right? Yeah, in my eyes, this is the most important game that the Canadian national team has has probably played for a long, long time. I know that the, the point at the Azteca was impressive. The point against the U.S. was impressive, but this is a statement piece. This is this is to really build on the hype that everyone has that this this country is good enough to qualify the World Cup because if we win this match, we will get three massive points and not only get three massive points to put us separation from that dangerous fourth to fifth place, but it also pushes Costa Rica, a team that is directly competing with us further away. It'll be a massive separation and it it's just so important to, that we pick it up and then whatever we get from Mexico is just hopefully icing on the cake because when both of them are at home, there's, there's a strong chance that this could be a four to six point window, which is something years ago of growing up and looking at our national team is something that I, I'd be shocked if I if you told me five to ten years ago that Canada would be taking on Costa Rica and Mexico and you're expecting four to six points I would have probably laughed what do you think Adrian four to six points is is doable right I mean this this Canada team looks very good and we got to add Ikiokbo as well and four to six points statement yeah, absolutely. It would be quite the statement. And I just to continue on where where Josh was sort of leading us down. This is this is something I would never have expected as someone who was growing up watching the Canadian national team. This was a team that, you know, for anyone who's not in Canada or couldn't really understand or has a national team that's actually pretty competitive and decent and qualifies for tournaments, this is a Canadian team watching them. You almost lost hope at times. I mean, I remember that Honduras defeat, that heavy, heavy Honduras defeat from a while ago that it just sort of felt like as soon as we started to make some sort of progress, you just fall back and you sort of have this false hope all the time. But now false hope is 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 not in the vocabulary at the moment because this is a team that can genuinely compete and is in that top four. And so Costa Rica, I would expect, I would hope, and I, no, I'll double down. I expect a win there. And against Mexico, given the fact that we got that draw that could have been a win at Azteca, why not? Should Let's have. go for it. Six. Should have been a win. It should have, yeah. So let's go for it. Let's hope that it's an extra cold day in Edmonton and uh, extra cold couple of nights in Edmonton. We get that six points against Mexico and Costa Rica. If it, yeah, Josh, I see you raising your hand. You're eager to jump in here, so go. Because I, I like it. Um, and as Adrian just pointed out, I mean, it, it's interesting. Emmanuel, you'll understand this as well, growing up in this country and, and seeing what our national team was like. But I mean, ever since I started covering the national team on, on my YouTube channel and seeing our community grow, uh, I've seen a mentality switch. I, I've had people message me on Twitter in, in the live chats, uh, DMing me and saying, Josh, like we expect six points. We, there, there's been a massive switch in mentality because generally without putting my hand up, I'll take four. I'll take four from this upcoming window. And I probably wouldn't even be that mad with three given it's Mexico. And I'm, I'm a bit of a realist, but listening to 
to everyone DM me and, and tell me like, we're expecting six. This team is good enough for six. This is a statement. We, we don't want third. We want second. We want to take overtake the States. It's a amazing thing to see. And that's the right attitude to have for this country to keep developing its national team and keep growing popularity with the sport in this country. Oh, I a hundred percent agree with it. It should be six. And I, I want to bring Filippo in here, but CONCACAF, the, what well, used to be just six, right now it's eight. But that qualification group is all about winning your home games because like on the road, it can be so difficult in CONCACAF and it is different than other federations around the world. It really is, but you need to win your home games, right, Filippo? Yeah, and the thing is now that they expanded, instead of a hex, it's eight teams at the end that benefits the more quality you have right the more depth you have there's more room for error so i think it does benefit mexico united states and surprisingly a team that many underrated which was canada right canada is a lot better than many expected if you go back a few months the way canada was described by any Concacaf fan was yeah they're a two-man show right they got alfonso davies jonathan david and a bunch of guys around them and we've been seeing that there's a lot more to this team Right. It's definitely not two players, including so far, John Herdman has been pretty good as well. I expect also Canada to defeat Costa Rica at home. I saw how this team aged. It's not the same Costa Rica used to be. Then against Mexico at home, it's a tricky one. Right. We do know Mexico now has Raul Jimenez back. They're going to be playing the United States and Canada away. So Mexico has probably the toughest camp, right? Playing the U.S. and Canada away in the same camp. Tough one. Um, Yeah. Now, I was going to actually ask you about that, Filippo, because first U.S. in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is kind of like the Edmonton of the U.S., right? It's cold. It's not comfortable. Um, it's not a, you know, it's a great place to watch games. And Cincinnati, even though it's been a disaster of an MLS market, is actually a proper soccer city. So it, it will be a good location for that. But Mexico is going to, to for them, most inhospitable places they can probably imagine. And having those two games back-to-back, what is better for them, playing first in Cincinnati and then in Edmonton, or would it have been almost better for them the other way around? What do you think? I I don't know, honestly. I, I don't think the Mexican team is going to play any worse because they're playing away. It's just that when they play at Azteca, I think they play better. I don't think their, their team is tough. They have experience, a lot of veterans. Um, I don't think it'll affect their game at all. I think they're well prepared and the U.S. and Canada do need to be prepared for that and watch out. Uh, I know I make fun of Mexico more than they're comfortable with, but it's they're probably when it comes to CONCACAF experience and talent, they're probably the number one in the region when it comes to that. When you look at uh, Raul Jimenez returning, Lozano, Tecatito, even though Tecatito has been not playing very well. Um, Hector Herrera, Edson Alvarez has been in absolutely amazing form for Ajax, and I can't imagine what he's going to do in these two games. So it's something to watch out, something to watch out for. I don't know, Manuel. I don't know if playing in Canada, which it's definitely colder, I would say, <laughs> but um, I don't think it'll affect them at all. Um, good yeah. luck to Mexico because it's a tough camp, but I'm interested to see how it's going to wrap up after this. Remember one thing before I pass on the mic to the next one here. 21 points should be enough to qualify anyone. Canada has 10 right now. The U.S. has 11 and Mexico has 14. So they're halfway there, all of them. Yeah, I I, I actually personally think the top three as we see them right now, that's probably it, Filippo. 
I, I, I think so as well. And I think, honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm cheering for U.S., Mexico, and Canada to make it to this World Cup because they're the three ones that are going to host the following yeah. one. And I would really like for them to build some momentum off this. And I think qualifying the World Cup for the U.S. and Mexico, it's almost an obligation. But for Canada, it can be something very special, right? For the, the yeah. growth of soccer in Canada right now, that there's a lot of good stuff going on making it to the World Cup can be the catalyst, right? Can be the game changer right here. And then if you make it to this one, you're already guaranteed on the next one. That's two in a row. And then probably Canada will start making to almost every World Cup from there on or, or most of them. So Adrian and Josh, are we on the verge of becoming a soccer nation? Adrian first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as Filippo said, if we were to qualify for this next World Cup and you couple that with, you know, what's sort of happening with the CPL and how that's gaining traction in certain markets, which we'll go into a little bit later in the show as well. I think that it's, you know, sort of becoming this perfect storm and with how well they're doing, you're starting to see media buzz in places where you didn't see it ever before. And like I was saying before, even following Canadian matches was so difficult in the past. And now you're seeing it on the front of national coverage all the time. So I think that we are absolutely becoming a soccer nation. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I'm going to try to make this kind of quick, but like also make it kind of experience, like relate to my experiences I had. But d even deeper to that, like hockey is always the sport that you relate to Canadians. And I'm someone who played it my entire life. I still play. I go to pick up at least twice a week. It's, it's a sport I love, but it's... I haven't bought a new piece of equipment in probably five years. I haven't grown, don't need to, pray to didn't break a stick. It's because it's so expensive. And soccer is a, is a growing sport in this market. We have now, on top of the fact that hockey is just ridiculously expensive, soccer is not. Then you go into the fact that the MLS, which I think deserve a lot of credit, getting Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto, especially specifically their academies producing these talents. Then going into the fact that we now have a CPL, The, the grassroots programs are getting stronger, that there's more interest. And then the biggest thing is the talent out abroad, in my opinion. What Alfonso Davies has single-handedly done for Soccer Canada is incredible. On top of the fact that Jonathan David, Tejan Buchanan, these guys are, are growing. Even seasoned vets like Junior Hoylet, Hutch, there's a belief now and the national team is the number one area to, to gain that kind of exposure. And I've seen it personally just again, doing the Canadian content through my channel, I didn't know if there was even going to be a market whatsoever. And and I've been unbelievably impressed and surprised with with the reception of, of the sport and seeing how much it is growing. And going to back-to-back -back World Cups, in my opinion, will be the absolute kickstart to making maybe a shift in culture in this country for the sport of soccer. Yeah, I think we are extremely lucky to have Alfonso Davies. Um, I think he is the player that this region needed. I think he's 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 a gem, not just for Canada. I think he's he's put this region on the map. Period. Um, I think he's actually also benefited the other two countries in Concacaf, the big countries, because when he plays, of course, the world looks, they watch. He's a proper world star, and I think a lot of people expected that world star to come out of the U.S., right, Filippo? But um, looking at those two really quickly. Do those two World Cup qualifiers for the U.S., how important are they? And how many points do you expect U.S. to get? Yeah, that's a tricky question. Um, expect or want, right? I'm, I think the United States should want and has to go for four to six points, right? We play Mexico at home. We play Jamaica away. Now, this game against Jamaica away is a tricky one because Jamaica finally, maybe, we're going to find out soon if they actually are going to play, but 
the players have arrived. Mikel Antonio from West Ham, that's been amazing in the Premier League this season, is there. Leon Bailey is there. Ravel Morrison, they've got their players. The team is looking strong, and we're going to be playing Jamaica away. Mexico at home is a CONCACAF derby. Uh, honestly, one of the biggest rivalries when it comes to national team because it goes way beyond soccer, and anything can happen that game at home. So <laughs> it's the type of camp that the United States could very well finish with zero points or they could finish with six points. It's not one of those camps where you have a game where you're like, this is a must win. And there's a game that you're saying, oh, we're, there's no way we're winning this. It can go either way for all these games. We could finish with zero, one, two points, three, four, six. The only points we can't finish is five because it's mathematically impossible. My expectation is four points. That's my expectation. I think we draw one and we win another. And if we do that, we're still in a comfortable situation to make it to Qatar. If we finish with zero points, the situation is going to look pretty scary. We're going to start to hopefully not hit the panic button, but we probably should. But it, the panic button is what U.S. man's national team Twitter lives for. Um, As they should. <laughs> we missed yeah. that World Cup, Manuel. No, I, I, and I get that. I 100% get that. And, you know, with my work at Transfermarkt, I followed U.S. man's national team very, very closely, right? And I speak to the guys over there all the time as well. And I have to ask you, can Greg Berhalder afford going for a draw against Mexico? Um, uh, if he gets a draw with Mexico and he finds a way to win against Jamaica away, then yeah, he's fine. Okay. The U.S. will end up with um, 15 points uh, and we're going to be in a pretty comfortable situation needing two more wins pretty much to qualify out of six games. So we should be fine. Now, if we come out with one point in the whole camp, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure on Greg also because of the way his hiring went, right? The whole thing mm -hmm. with his brother being involved in the hiring process, Jay Burhalter. So anything he does, even if it's right, it'll be questioned. When it's wrong, it's over-exaggerated. And I'm not defending Greg because I'm one of the guys that criticizes him quite a bit. So I don't know. And honestly, if, he, if there's any moment there's a chance of him getting fired is this one because we then have the December break and there's one camp right there that a coach could probably take over. And then January, late January to February, we have the next camp. So if he's ever going to get fired mid World Cup qualifying, it's now. But I think we're going all the way with Greg to Qatar. I don't think he's getting fired. And I, I think we'll be okay this camp. Maybe we won't get four points. Maybe we'll get three. That'll be enough for him to stay. I think we're going with Greg all the way. It's going to be so very interesting. Um, I think all those games... I'm so intrigued by Mexico going to first Cincinnati and Edmonton. I think it's going to be very fascinating. Um, it's going to be a very interesting experience for them. Edmonton, of course, sold out. Um, shows you the growth of the game um, in Canada, of course. And we talked about, we hinted on um, CPL expansion. I can say now on this podcast, and I've been sitting on the story for quite some time, there is going to be a new team in Vancouver. Uh, as we record this, 840 Uh, 49 a.m. Pacific time. I'm going to hit the publishing button on the story. I wrote it last night with um, with some exclusive quotes. It's all up, going to be up on Transfermarkt. So check that out. Um, it's official. Adrian and Josh, Vancouver is getting a second professional team. Um, I know you, Adrian, and Josh as well. You have pointed out that another team in BC, hmm, um, there's other markets, of course, that Uh, relevant. I, I think Quebec obviously should be getting a team. Um, Ontario as well, maybe move York United to, to a more proper market. But 
Adrian, I'm going to go with you first again, because you have a West Coast background. Um, Vancouver getting another team. It is a huge metropolitan area. Three and a half million people live there, right? And there is room for a second team. Um, the news is they're going to build a soccer specific stadium, which I think is fantastic. And um, what do you think of this whole expansion? Another team in BC? I think that is great. I think that is great. Not only will it provide some uh, some rivalry between Pacific FC and this new Vancouver team, but even with the Whitecaps, once we get into the Canadian Championship, which is always extremely exciting. And the fact that you just mentioned, which I'm hearing for the first time here, that they're making a soccer-specific stadium for this club is just it just shows that the sort of ambition that they have for it and that it's not just oh we'll we'll soak up some other old stadium and we'll slowly convert it which is never really a bad thing but it just shows the sort of ambition now i was a little bit surprised that they weren't going into quebec first but i mean there's time for that this league is still incredibly young as far as leagues go um so i think that quebec will was will be a no-brainer eventually just because of the sort of soccer culture that we have out here um but hey another team in bc very exciting and uh, i can't wait to see more details about it yeah the details are up on transfermarkt um so please take a look check that out but josh um what do you think they're going to compete directly with the whitecaps which i personally think is very fascinating it was pointed out to me that they are different league a different competition but it is still Vancouver territory. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I was really surprised. Like Adrian said, I thought Quebec was going to be the one to go into net just naturally. I personally thought that they would maybe look to go towards that that Markham, Brampton type area. But I mean, like you kind of alluded to that there's always the potential of moving York for, for obvious reasons with the, their attendance. But putting one in Vancouver was honestly wouldn't have been very high on my my guess is to, to be completely honest, just because Canada is such a fascinating country with how far away everything is from each other. I mean, maybe they did it for reasons to make travel a little bit less hectic, give that rivalry there. Or like you said, Manuel is a massively growing culture in, in Vancouver. So maybe they just did the research and figured that it would be very successful there. I am personally a little bit surprised, but again, I'm hoping that this league will continually adding teams. I think that it should, and hopefully we get up towards that 20 mark. So, I mean, having a couple in, in the BC market is obviously not an issue. I'm going to be a little curious to see how how they do, especially with uh, with that Whitecaps side, you know, just lurking mm -hmm. right beside them. Yeah, and it is interesting. And the ownership group, of course, is the same that is already involved at Pacific FC. And Pacific FC have have done a fantastic job um, over the last few years with Rob Friend and Josh Simpson, of course, being in charge. And um, and I think that considering what they've done in on the island, uh, I think that we can be very, or people in Vancouver can be very excited of what's going to happen there. Um, but I, I want to talk about possible order markets. I know that there's another team coming to British Columbia, and I think people will, uh, can probably figure out now where it's going to go. So um, I'm going to leave that open. But I think another team, a team in Quebec is a must now, Adrian. And people have said Quebec City, people have said Montreal, people have said Laval. I know, Josh, you have mentioned Laval. I personally think they need to go into Montreal um, or Quebec City. That's, I think, the big ones. And I know that there is some European teams lurking around, wanting to invest in the Canadian Premier League, um, similar to what Atletico Madrid have done in Ottawa, right? But Montreal should be the next priority, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said earlier, the, the culture out here in Montreal is quite, uh, is, is huge. It's a very football hungry city. And I think that, you know, I can't really speak to Laval. It's funny, Laval is sort of, 
you know, looked at as the the hinterlands from the people that are in Montreal. Maybe that's just Montreal snobbery. Um, but Quebec City is an interesting one to me as well, because I know that this is a, a city really that is just aching to have a some sort of professional sports team. Once again, that's not in the QMJHL or anything like that. You know, the bring the Nordiques back has been an ongoing thing for ages and ages and never seems to go away. Um, so I think that that's a city that would be very receptive to having a professional football team there. But I mean, obviously, if I was looking at this sort of from a neutral point of view, which is almost impossible for me, but if I was looking at the potential areas where I would want to invest, I think that Montreal would be a no-brainer for me as far as the first step for CPL into Quebec. Yeah, I think so too. I, for me, Quebec is like, that's a market. They need to go in there. Um, sorry, I had a little gap there because I was actually just pressing click on the, the news. So that's out now on Transfermarkt. Um, Josh, we talked about York United quite a bit and Ontario just in general. And I find Toronto is an interesting one for me because that is the largest city in this country. It's the largest media market in this country. And CPL has sort of been tiptoeing around it. I mean, Hamilton, yes, makes sense. Um, but we both probably all agree that York is a little bit of an awkward one. Yeah, I I mean, I've actually been around both the Hamilton and York market in their first season. So I've, I've seen where they've trained, I've seen where they've played, I've seen the atmospheres. And I mean, I have a lot of different thoughts on that. But but uh, I do think if for the first ever relocation of a team, it, it's going to have to be York for several different reasons. And looking at like different areas like you guys were talking about, I mean, Quebec absolutely needs one in, in my eyes. I think a nice outside shout could be Saskatchewan potentially eventually putting one there saskatoon is getting a team saskatoon oh, oh sorry team? let me actually uh rephrase that saskatoon has the exclusive rights to an expansion team that makes sense and i'd expect one to go in there eventually uh, and i'd be very curious to see if and how they would move york uh, a couple names that i've already mentioned like like markham to me would just make total total sense they've even debated whether to put a honestly a nhl team there and i know that's mm-hmm. completely different parallels but it, it shows that there's it's just it's around that market I, I think it would do well but i'm also curious just to throw some cities out there like like london or, or guelph or even niagara to see eventually if they're going to get one towards that way or windsor or something like that i haven't done obviously the market research but they are big cities that could potentially get some honestly some looks this way because there isn't anything out that way in, in ontario right now yeah, I think the the final one that I want to maybe add, and there is a lot of very interesting markets. I think we can talk about markets um, quite a bit, right? Um, I agree with all the ones that you mentioned, Josh. And I think that this league, and from talking to some people, and this is this is not finalized. Uh, it's not speculation either, but it is not finalized, and the league hasn't made decisions on this. But there is a, a strong tendency towards making the Canadian Premier League not like MLS and actually have promotion and relegation. And, you know, to do similar to what Japan did, have a first full first division, fill that first division up with primary markets. And then rather than um, having, and you see that already, right? Ontario has a league now, a second division. Um, Quebec has one. BC has announced one um, already. So sort of to then go and say, okay, look, we're actually going to build a proper football pyramid in this country. And we need this. Um, you know, the more markets you reach. And I think this is the one of the biggest mistakes that MLS has made, right, Filippo? That there isn't a pathway into this league uh, in a lot of ways. That some markets that are quite strong, that are not really that traditional. Um, I can think of a few um, that are kind of blocked because there is no promotion and relegation. So I think having promotion and relegation in the CPL is probably what right some wrongs that 
been going on in MLS, right, Filippo? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, we're gonna get into a, this. This is probably we need a, probably a whole episode for this. Yeah, but, so keep that short. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna keep it super short. But promotion relegation just expands the reach of soccer in the country, essentially. But we can do an episode on this expanding and going into details of the benefits and the issues too. But most most of it is benefits. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's wrap it up. I know Josh has to run. So uh, great, great show once again. And if you have any questions, yeah, please reach out. Uh, I think I know this was a very North American heavy show this week. Um, we'll, we'll recap the we'll recap all the, the World Cup qualifiers, etc. next week and go back to more European club action. So until then, see you later and cheers. Bye bye.